I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum! Astro Radio Z is a horror, cult, exploitation film podcast by filmmakers, critics, musicians, journalists, and fans for the film obsessed. Here is your host, Derek Terry. It's 2018, folks, and I hope you have your roundhouse kicking feet ready, because we're here to talk about... American Ninja 1 and 2. The sacred heart of the ninja has been guarded in the East. Remember the day I found you. Now, it has come to the West. Remember what is hidden deep in your mind. He is the only soldier. Date of birth unknown. The only American. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating... The secret Black Star Army. The mission to hijack a U.S. military arsenal. Your destiny, my son, awaits you. The adventure. The confrontation. The invasion. The final hour. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American warrior. If you guys are new to Astro Radio Z, let me give you a little history lesson to start 2018. Every year, we pick a series, a long-running series of films, be it the Witchcraft series, which had 16 movies, Vice Academy, which had six movies, Howling, which had eight, and Puppet Master, which more than likely will have 67 movies. We start each of our years off by having a series of episodes where we run through the entire franchise. And this year, you guys on the Astro Radio Z Facebook group decided we were going to break from the normal exploitation, horror and cult film mold and watch some chop sake, racist, American jangoistic nonsense with American Ninja. One through five. How there's five American Ninja movies, I'll never fucking be able to tell you. I wasn't even aware there were five American Ninja movies until late last year. (laughs) You guys picked these. So that's what we're going to be talking about here for the next three months. One episode a month. We're going to be talking about American Ninja one, two, three, four and five. And with me, as all of my longtime listeners know, is a huge group of guys. This is the biggest sausage fest you're going to hear on a podcast probably this month. Sausage. But they're back. We have Daniel Edenfield of the Night Keep. Say hello, people. 
Hello, people. Glenn Bittner, the big fucking deal has come back. It seems like he only comes back for the goddamn franchise episodes anymore. But, Glenn, I am so happy to have you back. Actually, Glenn, you were on the most listened to podcast of last year, the cop movie episode. So, oh, well, look at that. Maybe it's it wasn't about the topic. It was you. They knew you were on it. It, it could be or just I know what shit and I avoid it. <laughs> I, I thank you for letting me know every other episode of my podcast last year was shit. Yeah. Um, moving on, yeah. uh, Mark, the movie, <laughs> Mark the movie man, of course, is here. How you doing, Mark? I'm I'm doing okay. Wait, American Ninja. I thought this was Puppet Master Axis Termination. Shut the fuck up, Mark the movie man. <laughs> that make me yell and scream at the beginning of my goddamn podcast. I just started this motherfucker. <laughs> Next is Scott Davis. He is <laughs> come back to this show. We couldn't do a franchise without him because every single year we need to let him know how fucking awful the Vice Academy movies are. So Scott Davis, thanks for coming on. And man, those Vice Academy movies just fucking suck a dick, don't they? <laughs> I, 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 I love their work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, last but not least, you heard his sultry tones on the last episode last year. My de facto agent in Baltimore, Mr. Seth Powell of CelluloidTerror.com. Seth, say hello to the peoples. Hi. And we're not going to fuck around anymore here, folks. We're going to get to the point as one of my uh, various <laughs> listeners told me. What, Scott Davis, you want to interrupt me? You go right ahead, interrupt my podcast, Scott Davis! <laughs> I was, I thought I, sh- I should, thought I should inject a, a couple of show tunes. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's hear this amazing voice you have. Please entertain the listeners. Uh, <laughs> not, 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 not when I'm this sober. <laughs> no. <laughs> The beach is alive with the sound of ninjas. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, we're going to start talking about Sam Furstenberg's American Ninja made in 1985. He is the only soldier. Who is he? Who is capable of defeating the secret Black Star Army. A soldier who has become a master ninja. Your destiny, my son, awaits you. The deadliest art of the Orient is now in the hands of an American. American Ninja. If you aren't familiar with the fine, fine name and fine, fine work of Sam Furstenberg, he is the director of such fine pieces of cinema, such as Shokasugi's Revenge of the Ninja, Ninja 3, The Domination, Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, Cyborg Cop 1 and 2, which we talked about on that cop episode that I made reference to about with Glenn before, and Delta Force 3, amongst tons of other schlocky, shitty, 80s canon action films. (laughs) And uh, I, I think before we really get into this movie, we need to talk first about the company that produced these films, Canon Films. And uh, Scott, I, I always like leaving this kind of thing up to you because you are a pure encyclopedia of exploitation films. So why don't you talk to me a little bit about uh, your knowledge about uh, the Canon Group and uh, kind of some of the history 
surrounding uh, how they made stuff like American Ninja and American Ninja 2. Oh God! Okay, let me think if I see if I can think of think of how this works. The um, Cannon Group was originally founded, but it was per, but we the one we know was purchased by a couple of Israeli producers named Menachem Golan and Yoram Globus, and these guys were like old style movie moguls. They just wanted to be make big movies, and they wanted to make films that tried to be big movies, but wound up just looking like big exploitation movies. And what they would do is they would find whatever trend was big, and they would uh, go with it. Uh, Breakdancing, they went with it, and they came out with the breaking movies. Uh, uh, they tried to capitalize on every toy thing, and one of the big things that they did, one of the first bits, at least in the 80s here, was Enter the Ninja. And at this point, it's hard to understand, but most people didn't know what a ninja was. So that's why all these movies well into the 80s, you have always some Yahoo there who says, ninja what's that you know when of course every kid watching is like like, what you don't know what a ninja is because these movies like kind of brought that in into the american consciousness of course these were really unrealistic uh, anglicanized ninjas to and the best of course after the original ninja trilogy folds uh with the show kasuji we have american ninja and it's like this white james dean spiked hair guy uh who also happens to be a ninja <laughs> and these films are insanely violent and uh but wind up being like harmless silly comic book of adventures so that you don't notice that the bodies are falling in the triple digits because it's just so goofy and that's kind of the raise became the raison d'etre of canon they had the dark action movies with charles bronson and then they had the rambo ripoff action movies with chuck norris and they had the goofy ninja american ninja with michael dudikoff i remember back in the 80s gobbling this stuff up Canon, for the most part, produced a lot of B-grade action flicks, as Scott had alluded to. Now, Dan, you were one of the people that really championed that we were going to do these movies (laughs) this year. Now, where did you start finding the love for shitty ninja movies? Um, probably the playground of my school. It, I mean, I make it no secret because it comes up all the time. It was, you know, I'm born in the 80s. I'm an 80 kid, 80 kid, blah, 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 blah. But it is, I mean, that is the story. It's, Nintendo came out and it hit the States, what, in 85? I got my NES in 1987. Um, American Ninja, just like every other. It's one of those when you watch Canon films, when you see the Canon logo splash at the beginning, you know you're in for a good time. And on the playground... Remember, this American Ninja was one of those movies that was always mentioned in reverence. And it was, you know, not necessarily hushed tones. Reverence? <laughs> yeah, it was one of those, you know, it's like American Ninja. You know, you want to be badass like Van Damme. Or you want to be like that guy, like an American Ninja. You want to be like Schwarzenegger, you know. And <clears throat> it was one of those movies that I honestly don't think people nowadays know just how much they owe to the American Ninja series. 
just from what it did. You cannot play a fucking triple A video game nowadays that does not owe something to American Ninja, be it multicolored bad guys from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, be it genetic manipulation like in Metal Gear or Double Dragon or maybe even Ninja Gaiden. It all owes it to American Ninja. And I guess it's just because I was a kid and we were always talking about, wouldn't it be cool if you could do this, or you could do that, or, you know, wh- who would kick whose ass, you know, Van Damme, who would kick Michael Dudikoff's ass and be like, yeah, he would, no, he wouldn't, well, yeah, but then Schwarzenegger would come out and kick his ass and stuff. Yeah, it's just, just <laughs> playground fodder that it only in, it's only just enhanced by the fact that your little kids out watching movies about ninjas kicking people in the face. Derek, you've said it multiple times. You know, we can sit there. You give me a movie in 90 minutes of Van Damme kicking somebody in the face and I'm going to watch it. Oh, That's yeah, I'm going to watch that shit. You name, name oh, yeah. a movie American Ninja and you show me on the cover, you got a ninja and a dude, like an army dude with a katana aiming at the other ninja and they're like, they're fighting. Okay, I'm going to watch it. i'm easy (laughs) exactly look i mean i'm a man of simple pleasures and beautifully illustrated in the title american ninja well hot damn okay let's watch this (laughs) i actually started watching ninja movies at a far younger age before this stuff came out and when i finally started seeing stuff like say revenge of the ninja or enter the ninja and uh, you saw all those multicolored ninjas, like the white and the yellow and the, the red ninjas. It always threw back to the Godfrey Ho movies. And yeah. if you're not familiar with Godfrey Ho, he was a schlockmeister from Asia that literally took hundreds of movies, recut them, <laughs> and threw the most god-awful ninja, most impractical ninja outfits. Like, on what planet would a neon blue ninja work anywhere? This planet, <laughs> buddy. <laughs> neon yellow. Watch it. <laughs> I mean, these ninjas stuck out all over the place. Or let's talk about uh, Franco Nero in Enter the Ninja, oh where God. he's wearing a white ninja outfit, and you can clearly see his full fucking mustache. Now, to be fair... These ninjas could have blended in perfectly if they were at a breakdancing competition. <laughs> so maybe they just got the sets mixed up. Uh, <laughs> I always loved it. I, I think it was funny. It was ridiculous. It was fantastical. Um, Seth, when you think of these weird, like multicolored ninjas and all these, t- like Godfrey Ho and and the uh, Shokasugi movies and stuff like that, were you ever into this stuff wh- when you were younger? Did you like grow up and cut your teeth on some action films with these really shitty ninja movies? Oh yeah, I mean, I grew up uh, late '80s, you know, into the early '90s watching this stuff uh, on you know cable whenever it would come on. This and cheesy sci-fi like Godzilla would always run back to back to back. So entire weekends would spent with this crap. And uh, like Dan said, it reminded me of old beat em up Nintendo games, especially with Ninja Turtles and, you know, the Foot Clan always having the different colored uniforms. And going back, it really hit me watching it uh, this weekend. It's like, man, those ninjas are training, and every one of them is at a different level of being a ninja. Because what asshole is running around in a yellow ninja suit? He's got to be an early ninja, you know. I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> Another game, and it just dawned because I made a list of games that owe this. Shinobi. Oh yeah, Shinobi oh yeah, great. big time. Uh, please continue, Seth. I just I had to mention Shinobi. 
I will uh, allow a shinobi interruption anytime because that was fantastic, <laughs> especially three. Um, Fuck yeah. Just moving on. It, the whole thing felt like a beat em up video game, which really struck me now more than it did when I was playing them. But it all it all just comes together in this big childhood mishmash of cheese and action. And it was great. It's just it's what kids should have fun with because it's not overly gory or uh, exploitative with nudity and bloodshed and everything. It's just kind of good, wholesome American ninja fun. <laughs> Jangoistic <laughs> nonsense. That's the vast majority of what American Ninja is. The movie we're going to be talking about tonight, American Ninja, to start this off with, stars Mr. Michael Dudikoff, who the vast majority of my listening audience should know who he is. I mean, he was in tons and tons of schlocky action flicks, never really made it into the big time. I mean, he may have had one-off roles here and there, but the majority of his stuff was direct to video and direct to like Cinemax and late night cable type stuff. And uh, Steve James, who you should know from the warriors and vigilante, and I'm going to get you sucker and a whole slew of black exploitation flicks. These two guys are complete badasses. And the movie that they get to star in, the plot synopsis goes as follows, folks. Joe Armstrong, an orphaned drifter with little respect for much other than martial arts, finds himself on an American army base in the Philippines after a judge gives him a choice of enlistment or prison. On one of his first missions driving a convoy, his platoon is attacked by a group of rebels who try to steal the weapons the platoon is transporting and kidnap the base colonel's daughter. Mark, let's let's start this off right. Let's start talking about let's break let's get into this movie real quick here. We got uh the movie starts off and uh Julia Arnson, who was, if you guys remember, the girl who wants to get laid by her boyfriend in Friday 13th part four. Instead, Jason skewers her through a life raft. Um, always had a, a crush on her ever since I saw Friday 13th part four. She pops up in this thing as a colonel's daughter who needs to be escorted away from the base in which for some reason there's this really intense hacky sack tournament going on. <laughs> between a bunch of the army dudes now mark what did you think when the movie started and you have michael dudikoff the obvious protagonist the american ninja the man with the smallest face in this entire movie he he, he, he doesn't speak for almost like 12 minutes of this movie he's sitting there working on a car and you got these dudes playing hacky sack and being dicks to them what did you th think about this guy that was just totally busting his balls? What's his problem? I don't know. It's a new guy. He just got here yesterday. Excuse me. Throw me the bag. Then you can go back to sleep, okay? Mark, what did you think of these guys and how they were treating the Dudikoff? Oh, they were, they were riding the Dudikoff, but he was just playing it cool. Dudikoff is like one of the first people you see, and, and he's just all silent. So you're like, oh, that's the American Ninja, even if you didn't see the poster, you know. So, you know, I'm like sitting here going, okay, it's the typical new guy thing. Uh, and I don't want to get too far ahead, but the, the story of why he's in the military still, I'm like, talk about fast track. Holy shit. <laughs> There's a lot of things that happen with convenience at the forefront. 
this is a kind of movie and most canon movies are this way where you really don't want to have the brain set in the on position when watching them <laughs> and uh the beginning of this movie as i said is, is mostly about you know these uh army guys are to lead a convoy to lead the general's daughter off base they needed and, and some weapons yeah for some reason at the same time they thought it was a good idea to put the colonel's daughter in with a bunch of weapons that possibly could get stolen by a rogue v- uh, band of ninjas she needed protection so they got weapons <laughs> <laughs> it makes it, it makes it makes even less sense as the plot goes on <laughs> that they put her in that spot too well, yeah, because they talk about real early on how they've had troubles with bandits all along. Bring their weapons. Let her let her drive off in the freaking convertible. She's going to be fine. They are on an army base. They don't have a fucking helicopter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck? So so they lead her off base. They, they're driving this convoy. Uh, Michael Dudikoff who is basically like the action version of Tom Matthews looks almost exactly the same for my, for my money. He's driving one of the various vehicles loaded with weaponry unbeknownst to him, of course. And they get stopped by shocker, a bunch of bandits. And then in the midst of them trying to hijack all these weapons, all of a sudden, the trees just become lousy with fucking ninjas. There's goddamn ninjas everywhere. And, of course, you know, because he's a silent type, that Dudikoff at some point is going to bust out and start kicking people in the face. Glenn, now, let's talk about the Dudikoff. Before we get into his interactions with the ninjas, let's let's talk about the Dudikoff as a character in American Ninja, the man whose who's date of birth is unknown. His parents are unknown. His next of kin, unknown, because he has amnesia. <laughs> Big shocker to everyone. What did you think of uh, Joe Armstrong, the American Ninja, in this, Glenn? Well, he's got a chip on his shoulder, doesn't he? <laughs> Mr. I'm too cool to talk to anybody else. I'm just going to sit here and fix engines. Too good to play hacky sack. Well, that one dude was totally you know, giving him fuck, busting his balls for not playing goddamn hacky sack. I, I, was, I mean, I he did look at the hacky sack as if the guy had actually thrown his balls at him. So. <laughs> I know. Thank you. I mean, I mean like, way, way to make friends there, Joe. It's like, Okay, I get it. He doesn't want. I think because I I get that he's doing the whole the wild one type thing, and he's and he's and he's trying to act all cool, and I'm, I'm a loner and stuff like that. Throw them the freaking sack back! What the fuck? Why are you gonna be? A, I thought he was being a tr- tremendous dick in the beginning. But Scott, he's a bad boy that's been shipped from foster homes and reform school his whole entire he's- life. Oh, please. (laughs) But of course, he is. His amnesia doesn't tell him he gets glimpses of this, but he is a white man trained in the mystical arts of the ninja by by an Asian teacher. (laughs) What a shocker. (laughs) But let's let's move on, folks. So, so Dudikoff, who is this enigma, which you obviously know through watching tons and tons of these exploitation you know, chop sake flicks exactly what his character is. It's nothing new. Nothing in this movie is unpredictable. 
you know this is the kind of movie you put on and passively watch and enjoy because it's familiar to you and at the same time it's goofy enough that you have a lot of fun with it so Dudikoff eventually blows his top and starts kicking all the bandits' asses, starts uh, dodging all the ninjas, catching arrows in mid-fucking-air. I don't know what designates a badass more than a dude that can literally catch arrows in the fucking air, but he eventually takes uh, Judy Arnson and runs off in the middle of the woods. And in one of the best lines in this entire movie, the head ninja looks at one of his his uh, lower ninjas and goes, He possesses great skills. laughing at that. I feel horrible for laughing at that. Let's not forget Dudikoff, out of all of his moves throughout this entire film, his top move, he, he must have took the art of diving to the ground kung fu because he dives to the ground sometimes without needing to dive to the ground, like to avoid a truck that was nowhere near him. I mean, I couldn't believe that. You watch him during that fight before he takes her off into the forest. And at one point he dives to the ground. And I'm like, why? Why are you diving to the ground? There's nobody shooting at you or anything. And here comes the truck and it drives around him. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> what the hell? Well, like the typical canon ninjas from all of these movies, they're all just a bunch of bumbling fucking morons run by some rich white guy who has, for some reason, some ninja training facility <laughs> in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> I just love the fact that there's ninjas, man, that first opening scene when Dudikoff's driving the convoy leading him through and there's this one goddamn ninja just standing out in the middle of the fucking jungle. Eh, just it's another like, day. It's like, not in Japan. We, we're we're not in Japan. We're Wasn't not, it the Philippines? It, this takes place in the Philippines. The Philippines. It was in the Philippines, you know, so it was just this jungle, this scenery, this vista of beautiful tropical lowland and a fucking ninja in black garb just standing there like he has a perfect sense like he's supposed to be there looking at me like i'm the asshole like i'm the one that has a problem (laughs) (laughs) driving by and then of course you know he raises his arms and then the other ninjas start dropping out the trees like you said Derek. the place just gets lousy with ninjas (laughs) it is it just everywhere and the funny one of my uh, (laughs) one thing that made me almost die laughing was that you know after you know the whole confrontation is wrapped up and uh, Dudikoff is run off with uh, the colonel's daughter into the middle of the woods, and he's uh, cut her dress up and broke her heels so Rips that she can remain in the stone. Sorry, yeah. right? And, and all that shit. They get back to the base, and he, you know, he saves the daughter, but gets court-martialed. And they start talking about the aftermath of this. And one dude goes, "Jackson, yes, sir. Did you get a chance to check the wounds? Yes, sir, I did." What the hell did you find out? Have you ever heard of ninjutsu, sir? What's that? The secret art of assassination. Yeah, of course I have. Well, according to witnesses' testimony and evidence, this massacre was the work of ninjas. (laughs) Obviously. (laughs) That was Jackson. God, that was so beautiful. What is it? Well, sir, have you ever heard of ninjutsu? (laughs) The secret art of assassination? (laughs) By this time, he's like, well, yeah, of course I have. Well, this was done by ninjas, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, Seth. What did you think? When, just, just so nonchalantly, they're just like, oh, of course, it has to be ninjas. 
Well, I mean, they must have uh, had every previous encounter with ninjas because nobody's surprised at these Filipino jungle ninjas jumping out of fucking palm trees. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of cover does a palm tree give you? You hide behind a pair of coconuts. <laughs> Just, <laughs> I love the uh, the brief description of ninjutsu every time they say it. <laughs> the art of assassination. <laughs> every time they say ninjutsu, it has to be followed up with it. But yeah, uh, they uh, they play it cool with ninjas. Like, what the fuck? Ninjas? Okay. <laughs> it has to be, of course. And, and of course, they know about this, but don't tell any of their soldiers no. that there's a possibility of a ninja <laughs> hijacking. No, they're this quiet. <laughs> we don't want to tell our, our army who may have to come into contact and combat ninjas <laughs> I mean, roaches or vermin or mice or in the philippines you get ninjas i mean it happens you know they just kind of just don't it's like in the south you know when you get the big water bugs those big ass cockroaches oh, we just don't talk about deer <laughs> hold on a second let me smush him with my shoe oh no well, in, in typical action movie conceit, of course, they get back to the base. Michael Dudikoff isn't thanked for bringing back the colonel's daughter. He's basically almost court-martialed, and he's he's set to be like a lowly runner. He has to take things back and forth to places. And uh, for some reason, the head boss of this island who runs all these ninjas of course there's got to be some dude that runs an entire team of ninjas for no reason whatsoever he wants michael dudikoff dead because he possesses great skills and um (laughs) so for some reason all of the heads of this army base are in cahoots together to try and off dudikoff but in one scene uh, when uh, we had talked about Steve James being in this movie. And if you know who Steve James is, you're cool <laughs> because Steve James is one of my favorite action dudes. He's, he's this force of fucking nature. The guy is humongous. He's ripped like a motherfucker and he looks like he could rip the head off of anyone <laughs> that comes near him. So there's a scene in which, he heard that he accidentally that because the word around the block is Dudikoff flew off the handle and got a bunch of their army dudes killed in this uh, standoff with the, you know, the lousy ninjas in the in the middle of the forest. And so Steve James, who's the martial arts expert of this base, decides to have a sparring match with him and Dudikoff shames him completely. And of course, they become best friends. This makes no freaking sense when this happens too. Okay. <laughs> this, 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 <laughs> I mean, none of this makes sense, but first of all, it doesn't make sense that everybody blames Dudik. I know. Okay. I know where he's, his name is Joe Armstrong. I'm calling him Dudikoff. I, that everybody <laughs> blames Dudikoff for this. It's like, Oh yeah. Dudikoff got us all killed. Wait, no, no, he did it. There, I think there weren't there still enough witnesses left to say uh, that's not what happened or anything like that because it's not every single army guy that got killed. It's like four, and it was the, <laughs> it was the colonel's daughter who actually started everything by running off. 
And it was the colonel's daughter that started everything by running off. That guy, you know, that guy is. There's lots of witnesses. There are lots of witnesses that are still alive. <laughs> That's it. Uh, no, he's not kicking ass. And everything. And then she gets all bitchy about it, which because she has to because she's an uh, a woman written into an '80s action movie. Um, so, and then. The word gets around, yeah, he's the bad guy in this, not the ninjas, not the killers. No, this guy, he's this is the bad guy <laughs> in this. And it's like a blood vendetta when he's ready to beat the shit out of Dudikoff. But Dudikoff's like, you know, as you say, he like the, the very playful thing. He has the whole thing with the bucket on his head and everything. And they do this great little this great action sequence and then Dudikoff puts out his hand and they come up there and he says like, all right, everybody, Joe's all right. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> this makes sense. Okay. First of all, it makes sense for you to blame him. And then second of all, why is he suddenly all right? Because he kick, could kick your ass. You know, he might just be an ass still kick your ass. <laughs> well, he respects the skills because he obviously could tell that he was trained in the art of ninjutsu, the art of assassination, <laughs> which, which as Mark had described before, is mostly rolling around on the ground and avoiding things. I think what we have to do is step back and get into the 80s mentality of this sequence. Okay, because you're right, Scott. It is absolutely absurd. However, if we were to inject ourselves into that paradigm for a second now okay so marines have died people are dead you know that happens and then we blame the dudikoff and you are right scott it's not joe armstrong it's michael dudikoff this is it, this is his actual life it's an autobiography we <laughs> <laughs> so, can refer to him as dudikoff everybody knows who we're talking about okay so he gets blamed for it and sure the whole scenario is stupid however this I feel that <laughs> it, trying to find you know like trying to find the uh, the good and all the bad. Steve James and Dudikoff have a chemistry like between them, and I think it actually falls down to the scene because I was when I was watching it again the other night, I kind of thought the same thing. I was like, wow, this is just horrible and stupid. But when you see them fight, because Steve James comes up and he's a heel. You like you don't like him, and it's psychological because the way they've set the movie up. You he's also like a, a foot taller than him too. You don't like him. He's intimidating. He's a heel, and he goes to bully Dudikoff. Well, Dudikoff, you know, he just he passes it off. He just uses the momentum against Steve James, takes him down, uses the bucket, humiliates him, but he offers his hand and helps him up. What he has done is what has happened psychologically is they have taken the face and the heel dynamic, and they have completely overturned it now because you don't know what to do. You wanted the Dudikoff to kick his ass, but no, he extended his hand and held him up. It was like, well, what the fuck is this? Well, now all of a sudden they're friends. And now is giving you that 80s buddy cop mentality for the rest of the film because I will say the chemistry between Dudikoff and James on screen, like, I really love those characters. Like seeing both of them together when you've got Armstrong and Jackson together, it's just, it's a team. I mean, it's like Tubbs and Crockett. It's just one of those you see one, you see the other, and they're friends, and it, you feel good. And that's the mentality you need to go with. So, Scott, you need to don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> Show respect, goddamn it, Scott Davis. You're sleeping on the playground, okay? I, 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 no. I, I, I get, I get, I get, I get, I get the eighties when turning your 
Marino for eighties action is, especially from Canon Group, is absolutely agree with you. I'm just pointing out. I cry for this day that actually has weight. I think has way too much scrutiny when it comes to films like this. But I do have to bring up how that doesn't make any sense. God, is people like you that keep me grounded? Because just imagine people like me out here. And people like me were running the show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you bring up a real good point is, is that this movie in general, I, I think if it, it's kind of funny that we're going to sit and really like pick apart these movies, because these aren't movies you're supposed to really posit too much. Like think about way there are movies that are breezy you're you're supposed to just go into them watch a bunch of you know high kicking nonsense and hijinks and just walk away having fun now mark when all is said and done did you have a good time with this movie oh it's a blast i i totally agree that dudikoff and james have fantastic chemistry they have that buddy cop chemistry that you got in the 80s you know that unlikely you know these two characters the way they paint them in the beginning you're like there's no way they're gonna be together and you know pretty soon oh yeah just you know one fight yeah we're good you know <laughs> it's like and you're like okay <laughs> you know that's how they roll and uh, yeah this film oh this film's a lot of fun man i used to watch this one so many times it was such cable fodder it was always on cable somewhere. And I used to watch it constantly and I forgot how many times I watched this film till I watched it again for the podcast. And as I'm watching, I'm like, holy crap, I remember all these scenes and that music. I'm listening to the music going, holy crap. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1990 totally ripped off the score to American Ninja. Well, let's be honest, Mark. The the music in this movie is as stock music as it fucking gets. Oh, yeah. This oh, movie, no. this music could have been lifted from 15 other action movies and just laid straight on top of this thing. I, I think Canon had its own library of stock music that it just said, OK, action movie. Let's see. Ninja track one, Ninja track two and action scene three. There we go. You know, <laughs> just wait till the next American Ninja. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you gotta you gotta disregard that kind of stuff with this one because on a whole, I thought this movie had a lot of really decent ac- action scenes. Some of them oh. weren't the greatest, and they usually involved Michael Dudikoff. <laughs> they, if you ever noticed, and I don't know if you guys noticed this as much as I did, but during a lot of the action scenes, because there was. Obviously, we had made reference to this ninja clan that are on the island, and there was this big bad ninja. I believe his name was Black Star, and uh, he was, you know, supposed to be this ninja from the old land. And he's this dude that just like is a cat with nine lives who just never dies, and he's just a total badass. There's this entire sequence in which we finally get introduced into the training ground for the ninjas. Of course, the big bad in this movie has an entire kind of like enter the dragon where you walk in and there's just ninjas training 24 fucking hours a day all the fucking time i you know at some point in my life i would love if i were rich enough to just have a lot of land where i had ninjas training all the time where i could walk out 
and I would just sit and be able to watch ninjas. Welcome to beautiful Astro Radio Z Ninja Training. <laughs> ninja, welcome to the Astro Radio Z Ninja Training Facility. Come watch the blue neon blue ninjas kick each other's faces. Watch the yellow ninjas scale up rope. <laughs> it would have to be higher quality than what we saw in this movie though right because it was just a bunch of monkey bars and seesaws that they were running across <laughs> yeah they went down to the local park isn't that kind of, that kind of why we have the show that's actually called american ninja warrior and it is a bunch of monkey bars and seesaws on that show as well <laughs> did you know it is hilarious shit is hilarious and my my main thing is that the action sequence in this uh, sequence where you you go in and you see this training ground um black star puts on a demonstration and this happens in both the movies we're going to talk about tonight where he just wholesale starts killing dudes <laughs> like for some reason it's okay for these guys to like build these or take the time to train these ninjas and they, they literally they're training all day long every day they recruit these guys but it's okay for one guy to come in if there's somebody with money to demonstrate how easily they can be killed. <laughs> That's what I loved about it. Just, uh, look at our, our killing machine ninjas <laughs> and how easily they're disposed of. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> this unfortunately isn't the only series where you've gotten the main head boss guy just going about killing his lackeys for no apparent reason outside of showing that he's the badass, but the rest of them, yeah, are fodder. I, it's been it seems kind of counterproductive, don't you think? A little bit. What I love, you mentioned about the monkey bars and stuff. I love how there's that chase between the Dudikoff and Blackstar and how they deliberately go through instead of running around the um, swing set, the swing set with the spiked logs that swing on cables. <laughs> Instead of running around it, the Dudikoff chases Blackstar through this when they could have easily <laughs> ran around this obstacle and meet Blackstar at the end. No, no, he has to go through it as well. Well, yeah, that was Dudikoff's backyard. He was familiar with it. <laughs> he took him through it. He took advantage of the situation and led Black Star through his backyard. You, you know, we got to we got to talk about Dudikoff. You know, because I, I think I think I think Dan, your your, your biography stuff, stuff is hilarious. I know you know it's BS <laughs> because, <laughs> and I love Dudikoff. I love Dudikoff. Let me go on the record saying I am a big fan of this guy. I think he's great. And uh, on. Um, Dudikoff actually talks about how he became this action star, which was totally not planned um, on the uh, extras to the Avenging Force Blu-ray, which is an amazing movie, by the way, Avenging Force. I want to watch it. Uh, oh, it's so good. And um, he's on there. And he, remember, he was not known for action stuff. He was known for comedy player in comedies. He did a lot of TV. And um, he talks about it. He's just like, yeah, and I... Uh, they had this big, you know, casting call for all these people and they just liked my look. And all my friends are like, oh, man, duty's in an action movie. I can't believe duty's doing this. And he really should have said this. Him made duty? It. Yeah. That needs to be his book. I can't think that of a worse nickname possible. That's his book. Exactly. That's his book. I, he should. 
he should not have said that because it advertised his nickname was Duty. But <laughs> he said, yeah, I know Andrew Shearer is going to like that factoid. But he, yeah, his, his, he was right there. It was, and he was, it was not planned. And he went on the set. He was hired for, you know, he could, you know, read a line and he had really good looks. He was very photogenic um, and zero martial arts. And he was in the cast <laughs> with people who did know martial arts. So they had to shoot around this. And Thankfully, uh, and you know, I'm fine with him not knowing much martial arts because I thought he, I thought he played the carried the part well. But Sam Furstenberg is such an incredibly good action director. That stuff is blocked so well. <laughs> okay, I don't know. If, I I don't want I you don't to blow know. Sam Furstenberg too much here. He's a he's a good no. He he he. My buddy Austin actually pointed it out to me when he when we were when we were talking about Revenge of the Ninja. He says, "Look at that that scene. That is covered, man." And but um, and he he's he shot it well enough where you're watching this and you're like, "Ninja." Why not? Yes. <laughs> yes. You know what? Yes. <laughs> well, I'm not, I'll, not to jump too far ahead. There's a fucking sequence in the next movie where Steve James and Dudikoff jump off of a fucking rock and land right in a boat. <laughs> so you yep. Tell me how wonderfully blocked some of these scenes are. <laughs> I, want, I, I want that quote on the when they release American Ninja, like uh, in, in a few years, they'll re-release like a multi-pack or something. I want that quote from Scott: "American Ninja, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> that is, I mean, that's the Sam Furstenberg way. Seriously, I mean, the movies are are light on logic. It's a and, comic book. Yeah, they're high on camp and fun. That's that's what really rides this movie. Now let's talk about the final epic fucking battle where okay. black star and the ninjas are taking on the uh, american um army force at the big bads hideout and, and glenn let's talk about black star and his secret weapon that he pulls out out of fucking nowhere glenn what did you think when all of a sudden a goddamn laser gun starts shooting all over the fucking place yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's a thing. Can't be, can't be more eighties than that. I remember when I was a kid, and I'm like, huh. And then as an adult, I was like, huh. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it it kind of like ruins a lot of the the mystique of of a ninja. Where it's like, just kind of fucking lit. Why didn't you open with that? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't you sneak it around all over the fucking place? Why didn't you just take that laser and mow over everybody? Yeah, just done. Done. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's what I, what I call uh Voltron syndrome. Mm-hmm. It's like, dude, just be the giant robot at the start with the huge sword and you're done. Why are you fucking around with this? You know, oh, I'm going to throw these little stars at them. Maybe try to kick. No, no laser. Just use your laser, dude. You're done. <laughs> Well, I guess that's what you call building to a climax. (laughs) (laughs) So you got Black Star who's shooting at the duty. I'm going to call him duty for the rest of the fucking podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'll be able to, but I'm sure as fuck going to try. So Black Star is shooting at duty with a goddamn laser gun. Then you got Steve James who comes in guns a blazing, has to fight (laughs) Roundy's Bolo Young 
and is oily as fuck. <laughs> And then fucking pulls out a goddamn bazooka and starts shooting it all over the fucking goddamn place. This final sequence, the the final act of this movie is classic Sam Furstenberg nonsense and literally almost saves some of the middle section of this film that just goes through the numbers of your typical like duty is this guy who's got to run and hide from the authorities because they all are trying to pin him for murders that ninjas are doing all over the place. And the only person that believes him is his good buddy who he humiliated in a fight in front of everybody, Steve James. And (laughs) it all culminates in this huge ninja battle where all of a sudden uh, duty finds out his, sorted past in which he was a little boy that was adopted by this mystical teacher our paths will meet again what do you mean your karma and mine they are connected learns the secret of ninja magic of course he does of Go course he does of course he does so this this ending battle is literally it, it's worth the price of admission it's stupid it's so ridiculously over the top and um it ends the movie at an hour and 20 minutes long. Victory! That's what I call a fucking goddamn movie, folks. Don't linger around. This ain't no two-hour gimmick. This is a goddamn hour, hour 20, hour 20, hour 25-minute movie. That's how you fucking do a movie. Sam Furstenberg, it's not his action blocky, that's for sure, because he doesn't know how to edit worth a pinch of shit. But he sure knows how to bring a movie in at an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> so that's that's a big thumbs up for me in this. So let's go ahead and let's let's wrap this one up and give our final thoughts on, on this movie. And uh, any anything you think we missed that we need to talk about with this. Seth, we're going to start with you. Final thoughts on American Ninja. I'm mad we never got a spinoff of uh, Duty and Steve James doing their little gimmick wrestling match that they talked about for money i would have loved to have seen their pro wrestling tour across the philippines i love that steve james is not he just wants to sit and make a uh, make some paper and, and exploit <laughs> and do a good old wrestling gimmick but uh duty's not having any of it duty was not impressed by that idea no the movie's a blast just total cheese ball camp fun turn your brain off it doesn't linger like you said there's a fucking laser gun. Why not? And, uh, you know, Black Star. Why is he Black Star? Because he's got some makeup on his face. So the movie works for me totally. Big thumbs up. Yeah, he's got some bullshit tattoo on his on his fucking eyelid. There he is. You said somebody should came up. Hey, you got some bullshit on your face. You don't want to get that off of it. Like, good luck getting a tax paying job in the future. <laughs> Welcome to the service industry or washing dishes, folks. <laughs> Scott Davis, final thoughts. Oh, it's it's fantastic. I love this movie. It's uh uh, you know, of course, I'm kidding around, joking around about how it doesn't stand up to scrutiny and everything like that, because, well, I did a whole web series about stuff like that. But <laughs> I mean, but yes, it's it's great. I mean, it is total canon. What I love about this movie is that I mentioned before how you had different types of action movies in the 80s. There was a, a trend of a very... Uh, different kind of action movie uh that this was kind of following and that was a very grim 
revenge-themed action movie. Films like uh, The Exterminator, which which also had Steve James in it, incidentally, which were just Death Wish 2, which were really sadistic and everything. This one has like 10 times as many bodies, but it is so goofy it is so silly it's it's basically what this movie is is that it was like a gi joe cartoon come to life where we said man don't you wish gi joe was just there a lot more badass i mean they've got all this stuff and they don't do anything with it well here comes the movie they didn't have all the stuff but they had all that spirit that you wish they put in those gi joe cartoons and they turned it into a great r-rated action movie and it's just a lot of fun i love american ninja yeah, I wouldn't even I, it's well, at least now to our sensibilities, this, I think, would come out as a PG-13. There's really not much that makes this an R movie. There's the occasional blood. I think it's mostly just the level of violence. There's no nudity in this movie. Yeah, but ch- you check out the body count on IMDb, dude. <laughs> well, but still, but still. 14, I think they said. Nope. Yeah, it's harmless. It's not like it's not like it's not like you're watching, you know, I, I would. I would say this is far less harmless than a lot of the PG-13 action movies, in fact, these days. The ones that where, you know, entire cities are getting wiped out and stuff like that. This is way sillier and way much better and much higher spirits than that. Mark, the movie man, go ahead. Your, your final thoughts on this one. This was a lot of fun. Watched it a lot when I was a kid. Watched a lot of these type of action films when I was a kid because they were cable fodder and VHS fodder. And and yeah, you know, I looked at it today, even watching it, even with the body count, though, I'm watching it going, man, it's like, why is this rated R? (laughs) I'm like sitting here going, even with the body count that they supposedly have, nothing is really that bloody. The, the, The action and the deaths are like if bullets actually hit people in A team, but not always because some of the guys just would fall even if they weren't being shot at. Oh, you know, it's just it's it's very cheesy 80s action films. And it's so much fun because it know these films, you know, people who criticize and shred these films. And I'm like, you realize they knew what they were making. People, they're not under some impression. They're making some fantastical blockbuster. Oh, this is going to make me the next Rambo film. They know what they're making and they're having fun. And you can tell that it's got a lot of charm and a lot of spirit and just a lot of stuff that, yeah, you turn your brain off and you just enjoy the crazy because, you, you know, and the coincidence, you get that wonderful 80s action coincidence where the, 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 the guy who the caretaker for the bad guy just happens to be the trainer of the Dudikoff. And you're just like, wait, what? You know, out of all the Singapore islands in all the world, they two ended up together on the same <laughs> island. You, you know what I mean? So you got all kinds of crazy stuff like that that you don't want to think about. You just you just <laughs> enjoy it for what it is, which is a crazy action film where you get to see some very talented people make Dudikoff look really good in the action scenes. Oh my God. Old duty. Good old duty. Glenn Bittner, go for it. Final thoughts. Uh, <laughs> ninjas are the most ineffectual fighting force to ever be devised. Apparently, if you go by this movie, um, why anyone would have ever thought these were something to be feared or something cool. I can't imagine it. 
Um, I mean, now don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, the action Jackson man is, uh, I mean, he's got muscles and he's awesome. Uh, which makes sense. Cause seeing as he knew more, more martial arts than Dudikoff did. So, um, <laughs> just not, I mean, I, I I'm not going to say I, I hate the movie. Um, it's, it's a piece of 80s nostalgia for me. I mean, I remember watching as a kid along with, you know, as I think Daniel mentioned, you know, 88,000 other Canon action films that were made. And I gobbled, <laughs> I gobbled the stuff up. I did. Um, going back and rewatching it. It's a lot more fun watching it at one and a half speed. Um, <laughs> and then watching it a second time at, at double speed. Um, <laughs> it makes the fights, uh, much better. Um, so I would highly recommend watching it at super speed. It's great. So in that case, go for it. You can watch the whole movie in you know, in 36 minutes <laughs> and you don't oh. miss anything with the, with the amazing dialogue. So, Oh my God. Glad you're starting to sound like me watching. Can't, can't watch anything if it's not 1.5 speed. Exactly. <laughs> Let's round this out. Dan, your final thoughts. I, like I said at the beginning, I'll bring it back around. I mean, this is a movie that was spoken with reverence on the playground at school for me. I mean, this is in that this is that perfect time period, 1985, with a video game. And if you doubt me, listen, just let me see if I can break this one down for you. He's driving a combo. So we're going to compare the movie with a video game. You're driving a combo. There's state the uh, convoy. So there's stage one. You fight ninjas. There's stage two. You run through the woods. There's stage three. You have to jump your motorcycle over the fence to get out of the base. There's stage four. Ninja training ground. There's stage five. Fighting the Black Star as your final boss. There's stage six. But when you get him down to low health, he pulls lasers out. So there's your... (laughs) Oh, then you're back-to-back with the old guy, and you're fighting, and then old guy disappears. You find out, holy shit, magic is real. This, this Korudetsu stuff was actually real. So then you have to fight some more. And then your final boss fight is on a fucking helicopter with a dude shooting a gun at you. And you're still just moving around, wiggling around, fighting him. And then it gets blown up with a rocket launcher from your best friend. Case closed. It's a fucking video game. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's a movie. So it's American Ninja. It's a classic. I mean, like I said, this is every fucking triple a video game that we have now metal gear i made a list ninja gaiden arcade shinobi ninja gaiden nes final fight streets of rage tmnt target renegade bad dudes double dragon wrath of the black mantha metal gear mortal Kombat, and street fighter there are plenty more all owe something to this movie and if it wasn't for this movie we would not have and you know the other movies that came before it but american ninja is the cool one because that's the one that has you know my time and place my paradigm when I was a kid, it was this movie. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> three thumbs up for me. <laughs> I don't know where the third one came from. We'll call it Ninja Magic. We, we, we don't. <laughs> well, I definitely agree with all you guys except for Glenn. Glenn, Glenn's being a crotchy old fuck this episode for some unknown reason. So what fun is? There is but uh, can I say funny though? I'm sorry to interrupt again. <laughs> And when he's talking to the old guy and he says, you know, the old guy's like, sight, seen, see, like that, telling him about it. And they're contorting their fingers into that fucked up thing that ninjas do, apparently, in movies that gives them stuff. And then the old guy. <laughs> the it's old the guy ninja goes, magic. Yeah, he says, follow the Bushido. And Joe's like, I will honor the code, father. I will follow the Bushido. 
Well, if you go to IMDb and click the goofs section, the first thing says, Ninja, do not follow Bushido. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the world of Sam Furstenberg, folks. And with that, we're going to move on to the second movie of the night, American Ninja 2, The Confrontation, made in 1987. He has been taught the mystic arts of war. He has mastered a thousand years of secrets. He has learned the way of the ninja. Now, a soldier on a suicide mission. They have been sent to paradise. Excuse me, ma'am. Wow. To defeat a conspiracy that threatens the entire world. Who set me up? I said who? The lion. Who's the lion? He's a millionaire. He made his money on drugs. He's doing the search. The super ninja. <laughs> the ultimate fighting machine. Like a predatory tiger who will feel no pain. Miracles. And no, no emotion but hate. It's ninja <laughs> against ninja. Tommy, it's ours! Together, they must destroy the most powerful criminal empire the world has ever known. He must defeat the most lethal assassin alive, and they must not fail. Michael Dudikoff returns as the American Ninja with Steve James in American Ninja 2, The Confrontation. Now, I'm going to leave the plot synopsis of this one up to Mr. Mark the Movie Man, because uh, pre-show, he really did a great job saying this so mark will you do the honors and uh tell the fine folks in astro radio zealand what is the plot of american ninja 2 the confrontation on a remote caribbean island army ranger joe armstrong investigates the disappearance of several marines which leads him to the lion a super criminal who has kidnapped a local scientist and mass produced an army of mutant ninja warriors you heard that correct folks an army of mutant ninja warriors don't get too goddamn excited yet though that happens in the last 15 minutes of the movie (laughs) the rest of the movie is essentially duty and steve james show up in an island where they've been kind of commissioned to go there from the army because there's a bunch of marines that are turning up missing And uh, the commander on this, of course, some island yet again, uh, who who looks like basically the most stereotypical 80s dude imaginable with a Hawaiian shirt, green wife beater, cop mustache, (laughs) fucking spiked mullet. (laughs) This guy, you see him, you're just like. This can't be for real. Did this guy just walk out of Miami connection? I'm not quite sure. <laughs> Looked exactly like one of those dudes. But anyways, he has them come in in order to figure out what's going on. I'm losing Marines left and right. I need some help. I was hoping I was going to get Marines, but no, I get Army Rangers. You guys, pff, I guess I'll have to, you know, put up with you guys. So <laughs> they, for some reason, then get taken by to uh, you know shown the town by these guys 
and get <sighs> bear with me folks how they did not see this coming i have no idea they take them out to go skiing in a boat and go swimming and scuba diving and all this other shit and they all of a sudden get stranded on a beach somewhere where the engine just goes bad and on this beach all of a sudden this beach is lousy with fucking ninjas all over a goddamn game. <laughs> all the fucking ninjas come to this goddamn beach to fight fucking Duty and Steve James. And it is literally one of the funniest fucking goddamn sequences <laughs> of the, that when they're riding this boat, this boat ride to go wherever they're going to go to do this one shot. They're all wide awake. And literally with no transitional element or anything to tell you there was a span of time between one shot and the next, the next shot immediately, they're all fucking asleep. <laughs> it makes no sense whatsoever in continuity, but bear with me. Supposedly some sort of time space barrier had been broken and they all fall, fell asleep. So uh, they wind up on this goddamn peach and they start going into this ninja battle. Now, now, Glenn, did you not expect this turn of events where this beach was completely lousy with oh. ninjas? <laughs> no, of course I expected it. Oh, my God. It, it's, it's so I mean, not only do they not know what subtle is, they, they couldn't spell it. They couldn't they, they they wouldn't know it if. You know, if it was, you know, on a beach covered with ninjas. Um, yeah, no, it's it's so obvious what's going to happen when they go up here, especially when it's the, hey, the boat won't start. What? Oh, my gosh. Well, let's just go for a swim. Apparently, faster than a fucking dolphin, because those three guys are gone, like, instantly. Like, just disappeared. <laughs> I mean, like, they're freaking mermen, and they just went down to Atlantis to hang out with Aquaman or something. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it is it is the least surprising thing ever. Well, I mean, it's the I mean, I know that they don't really stress the ninjas uh, like art of stealth in these movies. But I mean, out of the only time when wearing multicolored ninja outfits wouldn't matter. <laughs> all the ninjas that come in all wearing black and everything. I'm like, guys. Broad daylight on an open freaking beach. <laughs> we see you coming. <laughs> How would we know they were ninjas any other way, Scott? <laughs> my my main thing was this: is that Duty and Steve James start battling these ninjas, and all of these ninjas have katana swords. They sit and fight these guys. They're dropping their swords everywhere, and they never pick a fucking sword up. Dan, <laughs> what the fuck is going on with these guys? All they could have done is just picked up the swords and start chopping people's heads off. Why? Why didn't they pick up a goddamn sword? I guess is the terror of facing. Michael Dudikoff one-on-one. <laughs> um, no, Dudikoff didn't pick up a goddamn sword. He doesn't need to. He's Michael Dudikoff there. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, I can say that, like, with the first movie, that was reverence. The reverence is gone in these. <laughs> this, is a, <laughs> this is a shit show from title card to credit card. I mean, this thing is just it's wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Jesus fucking Christ, man! Yeah, once they hit the beach, and if, like Glenn said, did I did ninjas are out there? And what's funny is I'm watching. I was like, oh holy shit, ninjas are back! <laughs> it's 
did not. It just comes out of left field with the rubber swords. And they're just dropping swords left and right. Hell, Michael Dudikoff, what? He doesn't even use a sword to fight. He uses a wooden pole for yep. to take one of them down. And then the one, like, uses a rope for another one or something. These are the most inept, clusterfuck ninjas I have ever seen. Might as well have gotten Larry and Curly to be professional assassins. They would have been a lot more effective. <laughs> I think you're dead on about that one. I think that that's indicative of this entire movie. Like the ninjas, of course, completely just fodder to be kicked in the face. Um, I had spoken about uh, a weird editing snafu earlier. There is one scene during a debriefing in which Steve James and duty are standing in front of 80s mullet Marine. Wild Bill. Wild Bill. (laughs) 80s Wild Bill Hickok. And uh, they literally turn and start leaving. And they must have not had duty to shoot that day. And they had a stand in. They turn. The guy faces camera, looks into camera. Obviously not Dudikoff. (laughs) Walks off off screen. And in the direct next shot is Michael Dudikoff again. <laughs> He's a ninja boy. You never see him come and go, okay? Well, maybe it was the same. Maybe it was the guy who the original army jacket, because when you the first you see Dudikoff in this movie, he is wearing an army dress jacket that obviously is too big for him. The sleeves are just going over his hands. <laughs> and it's uh, like seriously puffy. Shot. It looks like... That's, that's just because he's a ninja and he's partially disappearing. That's the ninja magic. He's popping in and out of bodies. I mean, I had literally watched this shot multiple times. I'm like, that did not just fucking happen. They did not just use a stand in, have him walk straight towards camera. And the guy looks in fucking camera. (laughs) Another one I thought was funny. And it had nothing to do with poor cinematography because we've already we know that just by watching this. But whenever they're on the beach, and uh, the, getting back to the beach fight, when uh, Steve James's character first jumps on there, so Jackson is walking on the beach, and he's just—he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go look for him." So he's going to look for Armstrong, and he sees a ninja. It's not, "Oh my gosh, there's a ninja," or "Oh golly gee willikers, look at there's a ninja fixing to attack." No, he sees the ninja and immediately squares off and kicks his ass. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a day in the life of Steve James. It's like, well, you're talking, baby, I'm going to Walmart and I'm going to get some milk. And he walks out to the car, fights a fucking ninja. It's like, honey, are you okay? Yeah, baby, I just had to kill him. This is, this is a day in the life of Steve James. Yeah, I, this is just another fucking day. I, what I loved about this, and Mark, I'd love to hear your opinion on this, is when, when the ninjas start appearing. I mean, we haven't even got beyond this first action sequence with them on the beach. <laughs> these ninjas got is that that when duties finally sees the, the fucking ninjas coming toward him they're all running with their arms up in the air <laughs> like like it's too bad ninja are silent otherwise you could have heard them go <laughs> they they try to stealthily stealthily drop the net on him but they don't have it quite ready yet and he's out sooner than they expect but 
he just grabs that net and knocks pulls them both off. I'm like, how effective was that? I mean, they they weren't stealthy at all. He saw his shaft. The, these guys, these ninjas are supposed to be part of the mutant squad of ninjas, and these guys, I think, got the you know back into the genetic gene pool because these guys are worse than the ninjas in the first film <laughs> oh man they're just ridiculous and what ends up happening is of course they get away they kick all these ninjas asses they jump from a cliff into the boat and in one miraculous edit and then get back and uh, tell their the uh, the 80s uh wild bill hickok marine that uh what's going on uh sir we think it's ninjas. And then, and then he goes, this is really beginning to get on my tits. <laughs> Seth, let's talk about uh, the 80s Marine. Uh, what did you think of this dude? He is a complete cartoon character as far as any type of authoritarian figure goes. He doesn't wear any outfit until two thirds of the way through the movie. That's not just a beach attire. He yells about his tits when he's upset. Uh, his name's fucking Wild Bill. He lets everyone call him Wild Bill. And he's apparently the best friend to everybody because anytime you mention Wild Bill, there's just background shouting of, oh shit, Wild Bill? Wild Bill! <laughs> so he's turned the entire Marine uh, base into a goddamn frat house. <laughs> Which, oh, which uh, for the record, I think is hilarious. I would love to party with Wild Bill. <laughs> he reminded me of like Goose's brother. You know, he totally looks like Goose. Goose from Thank You from Top Gun. I totally looked at him going, Goose? And I'm like, no. It, yeah, uh, it, it looks like, you know, if Goose didn't die, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> that's what he'd be doing. He'd be like rocking the desk at some like at like some Caribbean island uh, army base. And, you know, he'd be like sitting there and you're just like, you know, complaining about his tits and like waiting to get home to Meg Ryan. That'd be it. <laughs> <laughs> I am confirmed that. What well, that doesn't confirm it, but it it confirmed my suspicions when I was watching it because I had the GI Joe Wild Bill, who had a hat mm. and a blue life preserver and a blue shirt underneath with a yellow scarf and the pants and stuff. I because whenever I saw the movie and I was like, holy shit, it, you know, it looks so familiar. So checking IMDb and sure enough, you know, it's rumored that that character Wild Bill was modeled after the GI Joe character Wild Bill, who basically had the same role in the G.I. Joe canon. And so you just you just know that that was a movie that didn't get the rights to. You just know. I mean, couldn't you just see that ever a G.I. Joe movie? I know there have been G.I. Joe movies. Let's pretend they don't exist. But if there ever was a live action G.I. Joe movie, you just knew that canon wanted to make that movie. Oh, I would rather see a canon G.I. Joe movie oh. all day long. <laughs> but oh, no, that's same here. They, they, were the, they were the only people who could do it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, <laughs> well, these movies obviously are off of that mold. And the story yeah. of this one. It is seriously the exact same story transposed into a new environment. It's uh, there's an island owned by some white boss who has a team of fucking ninjas. This time they're mutant ninjas that are the, the Marines that they're stealing and they're biochemically uh, modifying them like Captain America, like the Winter Soldier program. <laughs> this is even more ninjas. And then... Uh, Joe is set up again for, uh, for a murder. 
They have to prove his innocence. Again. And then about 53 minutes into this movie, he meets a love interest in a horrible sequence in which duty and this love interest with the most cheese dick fucking music spout off a ton of nonsense about curing cancer with bio ninjas and a bunch of other fucking stupid nonsense. So really, this movie is the exact same movie. Uh, only it's far more of a buddy cop movie with Steve James and duty than the first one was, if you can believe that now, uh, when we said, did this Glenn, did this bother you that this was basically the exact same movie as the first one? I didn't miss anything. (laughs) (laughs) What speed did you watch this one at? (laughs) 1.5. And then, and meh, yeah, most of it was 1.5. Some some scenes I, I bumped it up to uh, to 2.0. Um, but I mean, you know, I've also, I mean, I've seen all of the American Ninja movies multiple times in the past, too. So this was just refresher for me. And, you know, obviously this one was just, you know, refresher of the first one, um, for the most part, just in a different country. <laughs> oh god it's essentially all this fucking thing it, is it, it, it is it is the same movie but it's done a little bit sillier because it's lower budget because instead of being you know in the jungles and all this stuff now it's like you know in whatever you know back street of this you know country we got to film in and um and then of course they add the whole they add a lot of curveballs to the plot to make it more and more ridiculous so as if to up the ante for the sequel. So this one just isn't about a rich guy who is, who wants to fund a arms deal uh, race with his ninja army. No, no, no. It's about a drug trafficker who is kidnapping army people and turning them in and using their DNA to genetically engineer a race of ninja warriors. I mean, that's goofy shit. Some <laughs> major goofy shit. And again, we are shown another amazing sequence in which now Black Stars transpose for this other bad ninja, okay. which I'll just call Big Bad Ninja. And <laughs> another sequence in which we're shown, of course, the lion, who's the big bad in this movie, the lion who has his own emblem that is basically <laughs> everywhere in his own house. Trademark uh, is drug. Yeah, he's trademarked his fucking place. And we we are shown what's essentially a bootleg blood sport set where a bunch of ninjas, multicolored ninjas. I don't know if there is like a class system within ninjas in which, you know, like you had said, Dan, before, where certain ninjas are white, certain ninjas are red, certain ninjas are black, certain ninjas are brown, whatever the fuck they are. But there's another sequence in which the big bad ninja has to demonstrate for a guy that's trying to, that's, you know, they're trying to woo him to put more money into this program. And uh, the big bad ninja just starts killing all of his ninjas again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> wow, the big bad guy's holding, waving his arms and smiling like this is exactly what I wanted. <laughs> I wanted my <laughs> mutagen <laughs> ass ninjas to get their asses kicked by my number one lieutenant. See, and he's just holding his hands and grinning, looking at all the spectators with him. He's like, see, what did I tell you? <laughs> He's Look just, at my amazing ninja army. Oops, you just killed half of them. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. Between this and the beach sequence, the vast majority of my ninjas are dead. <laughs> don't don't Will forget you please fund my program. Don't forget <laughs> yeah. the epic bar fight with the 
paid help for the ninjas. Oh god. <laughs> that wonderful bar fight oh where he was like, oh <laughs> it was like they looked and go, wait, I didn't break that piece of furniture yet. And someone would just run into it. <laughs> well, I, I mean we know well I, I mean by the way, but but I mean, well, don't we kind of know that we're dealing with low rent ninjas? The what's the first time we see ninjas in this movie? What's the first time we see them? It's the very very beginning, before Dudikoff's even off the plane. Beginning and big fight in the bar, and then the guy just like clandestinely opens the back door and like some bunch of ninjas pile in. It's like the guy was like the cool older brother underage kids he was sneaking into the movie <laughs> I mean, they're all underage ninjas they just want to get their drink on this is, this is, these are not threatening ninjas. this place has a ninja infestation like the philippines like oh we got those ninjas sneaking in here hold on let me get my shoes and step on him dude i got the ninja spray let's just spray a little bit over here and over there <laughs> oh my god so of, of course there's a lot of hijinks where they're running around trying to prove innocence trying to figure out what the hell's going on they all know what's going on there's some stupid subplot with a bunch of homeless kids and blah 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 none of it matters of course it all culminates into this big climax in which steve james shows up at this fucking budget blood sport set in a, in a fucking leather outfit <laughs> in the 80s wild bill guy literally becomes a cowboy and shoots his way into this place and then almost immediately steve james rips his shirt off and who can fucking blame him because the dude is fucking ripped <laughs> it, everyone just starts punching each other in the face now instead of there being a laser in this movie the big bad ninja because obviously the budget's shorter for some reason, pulls out a fucking shotgun. <laughs> now, Seth, describe to me how in, in what world did ninjas utilize weapons like a shotgun? Uh, in Duty's world. <laughs> <laughs> also, he had a very limited amount of ammunition for this shotgun. It was four shells and he was done. And then I was half expecting him to just chuck it at Dudikoff, but uh, the shotgun caught me so off guard i was fucking losing it <laughs> i don't understand why didn't they just take his dna to make these super mutant ninjas how else would they have no, no, duty no, onto random, that uh, random island? and random marines yeah, it has to be random marines. random marines that are set up by this jackass marine that just hides in the corner the entire movie yeah that's all he does he's like he literally doesn't even show up in the movie until halfway through uh, I don't know, but uh, luckily Steve James is there being Fred Williamson as Rambo. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like the most about... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, just, just saving the day with his thumbs up. Oh my God, let me tell you. Steve James in this movie kills Steve James in American Ninja One. Oh, like yeah. This is obvious. This was right in the heyday of the main 80s action movies because all of a sudden Steve James has one-liners left and right in this movie. Like Every time he's kicking someone in the chest, he's got to pull out some stupid one-liner. <laughs> the entire fucking movie. Uh, Scott, what'd you think of Steve James? 
I loved Steve James because uh, he brought out those gigantic Ginsu knives. Uh, <laughs> they didn't look like, they did they didn't look like they didn't look like swords. They didn't look like knives, and he had two of them. <laughs> and he just started wailing around with them. They almost didn't look real. Okay, they they really didn't look real. But <laughs> he was just Ginsuing people left and right with that. And so no, Steve James is awesome, and he was having the you know the the uh, chemistry between him and Duty are is much better this movie, and uh, they are have this camaraderie. So they have that bar fight scene together, and Steve James is like you know knocking people out, pile on them, and then he throws them all off with a bowling sound effect. James is awesome. He we, he left us way too soon in this world. Let me tell you. Yeah, it's depressing when you're looking up this movie and you realize, oh yeah, Steve James died in the nineties. He Terrible. died at 41. Yeah, yeah. at 41. Yeah, really sad. Yeah. Watching this movie because he actually, I think, like I said in the first movie, you know, he his character, the way they build the character for that 80, you know, cheese ball movie style did it very well in the first one. But I think this movie, we actually, for split seconds, it, you know, interspersed in the movie, we get to see Steve James. I, I think he's actually himself in this movie. I don't think he's, some parts he's not actually playing a character. I think he's being himself. The most point, the part that I really think that is whenever he, uh, when he's getting the number from that girl. Oh, and she's like, oh, yeah. she goes, call me. And he gets, and he's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Little moments like that. That's totally just like, cause you can tell whenever he's trying to act like Jackson. But then there's other parts, especially in this movie list. I think he was actually being himself. And that's the tragedy because he seems like he would be like my best friend. He's like the kind of guy that you want to be friends with, that he would just be so cool to hang around with. And that's the tragedy of it, I think. Well, you get to this point in this film, too. Actually, you look at the way Steve James is. He's immortal. I mean, he's not even trying to play like he's afraid of getting hurt. He's like that. The series has suddenly become Steve James is the American ninja. You know, duty almost takes a back seat to Steve James as far as his fighting, because, yeah, you get the pylon scene where he he dumps everybody off with the bowling and, you know, almost anyone he fights at no point. (laughs) Do you believe at all he is going to get hurt? (laughs) (laughs) He's just smiling and he's like, yeah, come on, come on. Bat, 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 bat. And you're like, yeah, go Steve oh. James. <laughs> he, takes, he takes time to flex. Yeah. Each <laughs> yeah. Yes. Every single time you, you watch him in this movie and you're like, man, that guy would get his ass kicked so quickly because his entire fighting style is to flex <laughs> before yeah. and after every punch thrown. There, there has not been that much unnecessary flexing since the volleyball scene in Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, regardless, Steve James rules. And of course, we have yes. this ridiculously over the top, stupid action scene at the end where 
for some reason, the guy who had given his scientific secrets over to the lion decides to blow up the entire bootleg Captain America super soldier program and the entire place goes up in flames. The end. Uh, So American Ninja 2 for my buck, not as good as part one but still just as fucking goofy and just as fucking light. And I got to say for stupid eighties action movies, a big thumbs up for me, Dan, when all is said and done, give your final thoughts, your thoughts on American Ninja two. Right in line with you. I mean, it's not as fun. It's not as, as I had said before, the reverence is out the window. I mean that, you know, the first movie, that was it. That's its own. It has its place on the mantle. This one is just fine. It, it's almost a complete retread of the first one and yet completely different. And I'll broken record just like the first one. It's a it's a video game. Only this time they went even more. Think about it. Metal Gear, Fox died, the genome soldiers. And then all of a sudden you've got a cyborg ninja that was Gray Fox. And now look at American Ninja 2. What do you have? Mutant ninjas that they're making. I mean, it just <laughs> seriously, this is it, it's a thumbs up. Just freaking watch it steve james just being cool and michael dudikoff oh yeah and we get a little more ninja magic whenever he's like walking when they're doing the assault on the georgia welcome center at the interstate and he's like going in the stairwell and he just all of a sudden sits down and contorts his fingers into that fucked up thing and then he has a flashback and then all of a sudden this firework goes off in front of him he's like kododetsu yes and then all of a sudden he's got the ninja magic but we never get to see him do it but it was there. It's a thumbs up and watch it and enjoy it. It's great. I, I love that you you brought up the fact that, of course, we have to have a flashback sequence of all the stock footage from part one explaining <laughs> yeah. the backstory of Joe Armstrong yet again. Um, it's, I had I had a witchcraft flashback to all the times we had to watch that one fucking shitty blood pouring out of the mouth sequence over and over again for six movies. <laughs> I wonder how many times they're going to milk that fucking gimmick through this series. Oh, God. um, I'm guessing every single movie. So, Glenn, final thoughts on American Ninja 2. Yeah. uh, Watch American Ninja 1, and you have seen American Ninja 2, um, minus the laser, unfortunately. So, you don't get laser ninja or or whatever it is in Japanese. I've forgotten now. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's traditional 80s popcorn action silliness so if that's your thing ooh, grab a tub of popcorn and uh flex in front of a mirror and watch this movie i hope you were doing that while watching this glenn <laughs> <laughs> that's like every day all day oh of course of course mark the movie man yeah it misses a step as far as any type of story that may have been more more coherent in the first one but at the same time we're talking 80s sequels here which 90 percent of the filmmakers out there had no idea how to do a sequel so in this one they just they just winged it it felt like it felt like they just came up with a reason to get james and duty together so they could fight uh really poor ninjas i mean these these guys were worse than the first one and they're supposed to be more advanced i'm not sure in in what way but it's still fun they're special mark they're special ninja they're special ninja they are special all right Uh, (laughs) but it's still got the spirit it's still got 
the a bit of the charm that the chemistry between James and Dudikoff help move this film along because those are the two people you actually care about. You give a rat's ass about anyone else in this movie. You just want to see these two beat up a bunch of low rent ninjas for 90 minutes. And, and that's what you get for the most part. Uh, you know, you actually, I think you get a little more action in this one than in the first one. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's what it is. It's eighties action camp. And it's still entertaining at this point, uh, though, like I said, it does miss a step a bit. Scott Davis. Love it. It's a it's a goofy little movie. And it's, you know, as a kid, here's the one that I have not seen this movie probably since the 80s. I'd seen the original American Ninja a bunch, but I've never seen this one since the original the 80s. And I, I remembered that when I saw it, I saw it like about five times within like a few months time that this movie was better than the first. Well, watching it again, no, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. But it's got enough fun about it. It seemed like, okay, it was done cheaply. It was done as a follow-up. It was done as a cash-in. I'm fine with that. It's, you know, how can you... You can't really get too sane about exploitation film. And it's... I had thought it had a lot of fun to it. I thought Michael Dudikoff and Steve James were having a blast in this film. I liked that they filmed the uh, big battle was seen to be in the corridors of, like, an old high school. And <laughs> where... where duty is like meditating in like the stairwell not enough evil masterminds let you do that now and i just thought that this movie was a blast from beginning to end so ah okay it's not as good as the first one i guess but you know what i'm cool with it i i think i'm gonna probably be watching it again really soon actually I probably will be as well. Uh, last but not least, Mr. Seth Pollen. This one makes me wish that I encountered ninjas in everyday life. Because, <laughs> I mean, it would be like, you know, a bit of an inconvenience coming home from Walmart. Like, uh, I think it was Dan that said it. And uh, just encountering some shitty ninjas. But you take out half a dozen ninjas, that's an ego boost, you know? <laughs> Give you a little swagger for the rest of your day. Put a little spring in your step and... <laughs> that would be cool, uh, especially because even when these ninjas hit you with their weapons, they're completely ineffective. Like the, the blow <laughs> dart. <a> rubber. <laughs> <laughs> he, he hits uh, Dudikoff in the hand with a blow dart. Apparently it's not poison. So <laughs> what's the point? But no, I, it's not as good as the first one. If we can talk about these movies in a, a sense of being good movies, but I have just as much fun with this one. It's goofier. The chemistry between Dudikoff and Steve James is amazing. And it's just a, a fun cheese ball flick. I mean, it's American Ninja 2. It's fun. Can you even fathom, boys, that we still have three more American Ninja movies to watch? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the fact that there's five of these movies just blows my fucking mind. We get um, some so blood in the next one, so... Oh, I haven't even, I've never seen any of the other ones. So this is all a first time thing for me. Oh, see, I so haven't I'm, seen I'm five. excited seen, about yeah, this because I loved three, these four. first two movies. I thought these were great fun. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've seen three. I haven't seen four or five. I started watching five a while back during the turkey challenge. 
And then that's how I think Dan and I started talking about putting American Ninja on the board for this year. I binged all five of them. It was almost a year because I think it was like last February or March where I binged the entire American Ninja series. <laughs> and I didn't know you seen them all, Derek. <laughs> I have not seen them all. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this. And I can already tell you two movies in this blows Vice Academy out of the goddamn water. Oh, <laughs> this may be the happiest Derek has ever been doing these goddamn franchise episodes, especially compared to last year. Holy fuck. <laughs> and the fact that we got to <laughs> see the new thing here, folks, on Astro Radio Z is we no longer are complaining about witchcraft movies because thankfully right now nobody's talking about making any more of those fucking pieces of shit. There's still going to be 15 million goddamn Puppet Master movies, though. You've got a new uh, Evil Bong movie coming out, too, Derek. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I was waiting waiting on Derek to be like, fuck off, Daniel. But then immediately Mark comes in like, yep. (laughs) That's because Mark, Mark has a big boner. About talking about evil bong on this podcast for some unknown reason. No, my no, just just my sight. Just nope, me. you got a boner. <laughs> got a huge boner. It's just raging at, at a good two inches. Just fucking so hard. <laughs> Thank so you for giving me some hard. credit, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> so here. Uh, I don't know, folks, if you're aware of this, but we have a new segment here on Astro Radio Z, which Mr. Daniel Edenfield, that's with us right now, has so graciously decided to do for us. So right now, I'm going to introduce you to Walmart bottom shelf DVDs. I'm Daniel, and I like watching movies, and I like looking at racks. And when I like watching movies, I like going to the bottom rack. And therefore, this little segment, I guess you could call it like a the bottom rack. <laughs> I went to Walmart the other day, which is no big surprise, I guess, for a lot of people. But when I go to Walmart in the electronics department, I like going into the movie section, looking at the new movies that came out, and I happen to see on the bottom rack a couple of movies that look pretty cool and this i noticed that i do this a lot very frequently i will go to walmart whenever i look at the movies i don't look at the top shelf or anything like that i always look at the bottom shelf the cover art's a lot better and uh then i started noticing that a lot of these movies aren't necessarily very good i never really made the connection that i guess a lot of them are indie films um which i mean doesn't not to say an indie film can't be good but you know, they're bottom shelf movies, kind of like the uh, bottom shelf liquor, I guess. <laughs> Regardless, um, here's a new segment the bottom rack, bottom shelf, whatever. We got some bottom shelf movies. So, the first one I wanted to give you, and I didn't give a preview beforehand. I've already seen this movie, but I figured I'd go ahead and do it this way. Let me, uh, let me tell you about Werewolves of the Third Reich. Now, for anyone that knows me, <laughs> When you read the title, Werewolves of the Third Reich, you got me, 
Okay, I'm compelled to watch this movie. The title alone compels me to watch this. So on the cover of the DVD, you've got, uh, of course, up in the title, the title of the film up at the very top with really cool font, and then underneath it, you got a profile shot of half of a human and the other half is a wolf man in a Nazi SS uniform. And, uh, of course, their little tagline is, uh, let's see, let's see if I can zoom the picture a little bit. Okay. Half werewolf, half Nazi, total terror. And again, all right, so this is just the cover of the DVD. Flip it over on the back. Let me give you a brief synopsis from IMDb. In Germany, at the height of World War II, a ragtag group of American soldiers discovered Dr. Mengele's diabolical plan to create an unstoppable army of Nazi werewolves. Okay, how can you screw this up? <laughs> See, that's right now, just from the cover, half man, half werewolf, all Nazi, total or half Nazi, I guess. They say he's half Nazi. Looks like a whole Nazi to me. Anyway, total terror. You know what? I'm down. I'm going to watch this flick. And I watched it. I posited the question earlier, how can you screw this up? Well, <laughs> I guess <laughs> somebody found a way. Um, no, that was a, that's a little too harsh. All right. <clears throat> I try to try to stay as positive with this as I can, but this is not a very good film. And the reason that I say that is because I come at it from a storytelling standpoint. Now, kudos to Andrew Jones. It was directed by Andrew Jones, writer Andrew Jones, uh, stars Annabelle Lanyon, Lee Bain, Susie Francis Garten, and a whole bunch of other people uh, that I'm just too lazy to go look up. But regardless, this is an indie flick, and now it was done in the UK. This is done by, uh, looks like a company, as I looked them up, who's done a, quite a few films. So first of all, the movie is done. You have released your movie. So kudos for, to you. Congratulations, because... I mean, that is almost a damn near impossible feat. However, what disappoints me with this is that the cover is, and the tagline and everything is a little misleading as to what actually happens in the movie. Movie opens up in a bar with some kind of goofy little scenario where the an SS soldier comes in and he, well, you see three normal people. I, I say normal. You see three plainclothes people just sitting around a table talking, and they, they talk strange. You'll notice this throughout the film is that their accents are a little strange, and I'll touch on this in a minute. So after they talk, an SS soldier at the bar happens over here, then walks over, sits down. He notices one of them's nervous, and they start jawjacking, and you know immediately what's going to happen. The SS soldier is going to start provoking them, say something. He's going to try to rat him out because, you know, something nefarious is going on. And they end up dying. Somebody gets shot, people get shot, and they leave, blah, 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 all the while with these terrible accents. Well, this is why. The terrible accents comes from a person in the UK, so a person with a naturally UK English accent trying to sound like a Yankee accent. And when I say Yankee accent, I'm not saying it, you know, like a damn Yankees with their accent. I'm saying like a Yankee accent, like... I can't even explain it. You know, it's all like a 50s cartoon or, you know, 40s Bugs Bunny cartoon. Yeah, you know, you see, when I was over there, I figured we'd come over and take out the Nazis, see? All right, now, you take that, but <laughs> make your make your native tongue be English and then try to sound like that, and it sounds weird. That's this movie. That's because 
a lot of the characters in this movie are supposed to be, quote, using my quotey fingers, Yankees. They're supposed to be Americans, so they talk with an American accent. <laughs> so it is kind of misleading. Anyway, when I said misleading, that's the whole movie. Is like, this is, some people would say a ripoff. This is an homage to... Quentin Tarantino and Inglorious Bastards. This is basically Inglorious Bastards. It wants to be Inglorious Bastards, and it also wants to be a werewolf movie. And unfortunately, it doesn't mesh very well. The werewolf does not show up until maybe an hour and ten minutes into the flick, where they even now throughout the film you'll have mentions of Doctor Joseph Mangala, and uh, I forget her name, Ilsa Coke. Was it this uh, whatever you've heard of her, like the the bitch of Buchenwald? Because they actually mentioned that. Anyway, it's got a lot of celebrity, uh, <laughs> say celebrity Nazis in it, but it just uh, it's just boring. It's a slog, man. I mean, it it stylistically, like I said, is trying to be like Tarantino with the Inglorious Bastards. You can tell it's shot on video. I, that's not a knock against it. I'm just saying the stylistic choices for the film were good and i see what they were trying to do but what really made this not cool is the fact that it's it's just werewolves of the third reich where the fuck are the werewolves man that's the whole reason i'm watching this film is i want to see werewolves of the third reich and from the cover of it and stuff you're thinking well either this is you know maybe it's nazis that are part of where you know you're basically thinking a world war ii version of dog soldiers that's probably the best way I could explain is when I look at the cover, that's what I'm thinking. I want a World War II version of Dog Soldiers, and that's not what I got. And that probably is why I feel the way I do about this film. There was a really good scene that I do have to mention this. There is a scene where Hess, uh, SS Officer Hess, who goes into the doctor doing the research on the werewolf program and whatever. And I'm not going to get into it. I'm just going to tell you, don't even worry about watching this movie. But this one scene was actually cool. So if you do watch it, there was a scene that was very cool where Hess is sitting in a chair talking with the doctor, telling him his family's going to be fine because you're going to kill yourself. And the doctor's like, what? And Hess is like, you are going to take that gun. You're going to put the barrel in your mouth and you're going to pull the trigger. And it's just one of the, like, that whole scene was very heavy and very very effective that was and the fact that i'm still thinking about it means i mean that was probably the best scene in the entire movie obviously it was the most memorable that was in fact you know i said don't watch the movie if you do watch this movie at least watch that scene because you you will appreciate it just the entire time where he's telling him if that doctor doesn't kill himself Hess is going to kill him, and then he's going to go and kill his wife, and then he's going to go and kill his daughter, and then he's going to take over his possessions and his land and everything. However, if the doctor kills himself, then he will spare the doctor's wife and spare the doctor's daughter. And it just that whole sequence, it might be five minutes long of that doctor just debating, and you can see just the the sheer agony in his face while he does it. So anyway, that was a very good scene. But on the whole, it was just not good. It's werewolves of the Third Reich, more like werewolves of the Third Vich, because it just, the cover is very misleading. The cover art is freaking awesome, and unfortunately, the movie is not. There are, there's, oh yeah, and the fact that there might be two werewolves, but there, there's no fur on them. They don't even look like werewolves. As a matter of fact, they're masks. I have the masks that they use. <laughs> you could buy them. They're just like those little half-faced things with vampire fangs. There's the mask, so they cut the fangs off and just put the mask on there so it gives them, you know, pronounced brow and 
eyebrow and nose bridge features and stuff. It just uh, anyway, that was the bottom rack. Werewolves of the Third Reich. I can't. Well, either way, if you watch it, you were warned. Uh, if you don't watch it, you haven't really missed anything. If you are a filmmaker, watch it. You could learn something. But uh, on the whole, I might try to avoid it. So anyway, that's the bottom rack. And stay tuned. Next time, I'll uh, I'll give you my preview of it before I actually watch the movie. So uh, who knows what we're going to have. I'll just uh, have to wait till my next trip to Walmart to find out. So thanks a lot. See you. Welcome back, folks, from that thoroughly engrossing segment. Now, this is the portion of the show where my sh- uh, my guests shamelessly shill the fuck out of you, Mr. Seth Powlin. Shill for my audience, please. I uh, just want to say thanks for having me back for another franchise year. This one is looking far better than uh, my previous two years. I agree. I agree. So, uh, well, those, those started out okay, too, but they quickly turned to shite. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, uh, you guys can find me at celluloidterror.blogspot.com and on YouTube and Facebook for all sorts of cult and horror film reviews and talk of that sort. Thanks. Scott Davis. Uh, Thanks for having me on again. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, Trying to get back into the swing of things. Got, you know, a whole big weird schedule and I'm trying to kind of the whole group here so slowly but surely it's going to happen uh i'm looking anxiously moviocrity.com running again uh might even uh someday somehow get to do uh new episodes of my web series moviocrity which you can now check out at vimeo.com slash channels slash moviocrity mark the movie man SpecialMarkProductions.com for all your movie man needs. Uh, from there, you can get to my YouTube channel, SpecialMarkProd. I'm also on the Twitter, SpecialMarkPro, Instagram, SpecialMarkProd. And yeah, you get the point. We got the Spoiler Room podcast on our website. We're starting off this year with a new series that we do. Uh, hadn't planned on doing one every year, but we are. And this year is going to be fun. It came from the 50s, where we'll be covering uh, once a month, we'll be doing an episode that's covering a 50s monster film that people voted on what, uh, what they wanted to hear us talk about. So uh, we got some great stuff coming up there. And Derek, as always, it's a pleasure to be on your show, sir. Mm, love you, Mr. Mark, the movie man. Glenn, you're up. Uh, you can find me on YouTube if I ever decide to upload another video, which I probably won't do until November again. But you can find me there with Giant of Monkey Productions. You can also find me on Facebook with Giant of Monkey Productions. Check out my uh, gaming podcast at GNCast.com. That'd be the adventure party. Or just keep in touch with everything I do by following me on Twitter at Giant of Bunker. Last but not least, Mr. Daniel Addenfield. Uh, it's been a hoot. Looking forward to another fine franchise episode. I'm sorry, I just I'll ramble on, but it's just awesome. I started out as a fan, and here I am, knee deep in the shit. Um, yeah, you well, come to my life. <laughs> you can find me. I, I was such a fan that I took over the goddamn podcast, and here I am, six years later. It's just. Oh. 
one internecine incestuous clusterfuck, I guess. And I'm on here and then I end up manipulating you guys to get you on my shit. And then I turn around and I'm right back at it. Yeah. Now I'm staring at the bottom rack at Walmart. Uh, <laughs> you can only blame yourself for that one, Dan. You're right. I do. <laughs> you bring up such gold ideas to me. I'm going to put it to the test. I'm going to make you fucking do it. This is it's going to be awesome. Yeah, it is. In the meantime, you can find me at nightkeep.com or uh, on Twitter at the nightkeeper. I mean, here, <laughs> if you don't ever, if you don't hear new music it's because I'm staring at racks at Walmart. Uh, I can think of a lot worse things to do. <laughs> well, folks, thanks for listening to another episode of Astro Radio Z. I'm going to cut this one off because it's really beginning to get on my tits. You can find Astro Radio Z on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere podcasts are found. Please. Help us by subscribing, rating the show, and giving us a review. It helps us get the show out to more listeners. Also, if you would like to hear more of the show and be a more active participant, join the Astro Radio Z Facebook group and page, and join the Patreon. For only $1 a month, you get bonus episodes. Thank you for listening. See you next week, Astro Zombies.